thank you for this moment, this privileged opportunity just to share from your word. Holy Spirit, we just stop and acknowledge you as the great teacher of heaven. Lord, I thank you today for your presence here speaking and causing us to hear what the Spirit of God has to say to us here in this place. Thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. So, I want to, uh, again, most of you that have been around here know that we've been in a season, uh, at least as far as the ministry I've been providing here, uh, talking about the gifts of the Holy Spirit, and we've launched off to that topic from the idea of God's strategy to reach the world. God has a strategy to reach the world, and that strategy was to birth the church, which he did a couple thousand years ago, the church was born on the day of Pentecost. And, uh, but he had a plan for that church. That church wouldn't be an impotent church. It would be a powerful church. And therefore, he wanted them to wait for the baptism in the Holy Spirit, which actually came to pass. You can read it in Acts chapter 2. He said, don't go until you've received power from on high. Because the job I'm calling you to is is it takes power i mean it's a big deal you're not going to get this thing done in your own efforts and uh more and more to me as i look at the world and i look at the problems of the world and i see how difficult it is uh i'm convinced that we have got to have help to get the job done we're not going to do this thing in our own cunning ideas so they waited as jesus said for them to do and on the day of pentecost the spirit of god was poured out They went from a fearful group huddled up in a house somewhere, 120 of them in an upper room. When the Holy Spirit came on them, they were emboldened. They're out on the streets of Jerusalem prophesying. And all who were there, talk about timing. People had come from all around to celebrate the feast. And it was a sign and a wonder as they heard in their own language. People were coming from different dialects and so on the magnificent works of God as the church began prophesying. And that was the birth of the church, birthed in fire, birthed in power, birthed in glory. Well, if there was one thing that intimidated the devil, it was a church empowered. You know, there is such a thing the Bible calls a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. So you can have a form of godliness, meaning you do external things that look pious, You can have all kinds of religious traditions and outward things you do to look holy, but God's not looking at the outward stuff as much as He's looking at the inward stuff. And so the Scripture says, God looks on the heart, men looks on the outside. We have to be careful in this day to not just, you know, uh, focus our attention on all the outward measurements of success. We need to join God and believing to see what's going on in the heart, beginning with our own. Always needs to start with our own heart. And, uh, and then God takes us from there. So a church empowered. And Jesus uh, you know, made the powerful statement. He said, as any man, he stands up on the last day. John chapter 7, verse 37, the last day of the feast. He stands up and says, if any man's thirsty, let him come to me and drink. He that believes on me, Out of his belly will flow a river of living water. And then he said, then it says rather, this spake he of the Spirit, right? 
So I know it's been a little bit. I'm just giving a brief, very brief recap before we jump in today. Jesus is standing and he's still. His words are still echoing throughout time and eternity. And he's saying, if anybody is thirsty, that word is a word that's still alive today. If anybody is thirsty, let him come unto me. Not to a denomination, not to a particular church movement, not to a set of doctrinal, you know, thesis and things. No, if any man is thirsty, there's only one place, that thirst, that internal thirst that every human being has, that it'll get filled and it's in the person of Jesus Christ. We've got too many people trying to join organizations and not join the person of Jesus Christ. So, let him come unto me, Jesus says, and drink. You know, you have permission. <laughs> you have both an invitation and permission to be satisfied in the presence of God. Sometimes, some, sometimes we feel guilty because we're supposed to be out there saving the world. You know what? You can't help anybody if you haven't been drinking from the personal relationship and fellowship with the person of Jesus Christ. So come and drink, he says. Don't be ashamed of it. Don't apologize for it. It's actually God's pleasure for you to drink, and it's your pleasure and satisfaction. And that's not a one-time thing at an altar call somewhere. That's a lifestyle. A lifestyle of drinking from the person of Jesus Christ. And drink to your fill. Actually, let me say it differently. Drink to your overfill. <laughs> Ultimately, that's what we're convinced outreach is all about. Outreach is the overflow of your relationship with Christ. So drink excessively. This is the only church that's going to exhort you to drink excessively. Let's just make sure you know what you're drinking. Drinking deep of the person of Jesus Christ. Right? And so Jesus says, out of that experience, if any man's thirsty, let him come unto me and drink. And then he says, he that believes on me. Now I like to think of that in this light, that as I'm drinking of him and learning how wonderful he really is, not what man has said about him, but what he himself is doing for me and in me, as I'm drinking, he says, he that believes, it's almost like faith arises in me. I'm like wowed by him. It's like, you're, you could do anything, Jesus. I mean, the more I drink from you, the more I hang out with you, the more I fellowship with you in just my own simple, straightforward kind of way, I find out that you are amazing. And as I'm in that place of fellowship with you, I have faith arising in me. Boy, anything's possible with you. <laughs> You know, we could do all kinds of stuff together, Lord. Things that I've been wondering about, you've got the goods Amen. to get that kind of stuff done. So he says, he that is thirsty, let him come and drink. And then once you've been drinking, he that believes on me, as the scripture has said, out of his belly, the believer's belly should be flowing or will flow, according to Jesus, a river, not a trickle, not a little spritz, a river of living water this spake he of the spirit the holy spirit so we've been asking some simple little questions i know here i am me again we've been asking the question how's it flowing where is it going and is it growing real 
simple little way of remembering, I think, three very important pieces. You're supposed to have a flow of the Spirit of God from your life. It, it, there should be a place where it's not just drinking. Drinking is awesome and it's right. But if you're drinking and it's real and it's genuine and you're really encountering the living God, here's the byproduct of such an encounter. Something starts flowing out of you, right? So how's it flowing? And then where is it going? You know, this, God has a targeted audience for the flow of the Spirit of God in your life individually. Did you know your relationships and friendships and people you've been acquainted with and all that stuff? <clears throat> From heaven's view, He has set you up as a dispenser of life via the Holy Spirit flowing through you. So we've asked, where's it going? And is it growing? You know, Ezekiel's river in Ezekiel 47 states clearly that there's a river coming out of the throne of God and the further it gets away or the further it flows out, the more influence it carries. It's deeper and broader, right? So as this thing begins flowing, it should be growing in our lives. And so I think it's okay and proper, really, to just ask ourselves as a congregation, this should be a desire we have. I want the flow of the Holy Ghost, you know? And I'm not ashamed to say that, that you know, it's not flowing like I want it to be yet. I mean, I'm, you know, Paul the Apostle, and by the way, some people think, oh, it's, you know, it's all done and it's everything. It's everything. Listen, Paul himself said, I don't count myself to have already attained. I don't count myself to have already apprehended this thing, but this is what I'm doing. You can do what you want, but here's what I'm going to do. I'm pressing toward this mark for this prize. I'm going hard after everything available to me in Christ. That's what Paul said. Now, I've just chosen to, to say what he says because I like it. I think it's right on, spot on. We should be craving an increase in God. And uh, so, we've been talking about that practically, what does it look like, the flow of the Holy Spirit? Well, Paul, in his letters to the Corinthian church and in other places, addresses manifestations of the Spirit, things you can actually see and experience that are the fruit of the Spirit of God in operation, right? So if you're going to ask the question, how is it flowing? It's nice to know that what is flowing is actually the Holy Spirit and that it's actually accomplishing what God sent it to do. So there's a lot of things we can talk about and will talk about as God allows. We've already talked through the nine gifts of the Spirit found in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. It's all recorded. If you're interested and you weren't here, you can go online and just go under media and series and you can actually listen to those messages in time. We're going to talk about the other manifestations of the Spirit, motivational giftings. A lot of times people don't even talk about those things, but they're very much a part of the, the, the demonstration of the Spirit of God, leadership, graces, mercy, the ability to give. You know, some people have a grace for giving. Thank God. And the body of Christ needs these graces like never before. And sometimes we celebrate, you know, the big ones, the flashy ones, and we neglect the other ones. I'm telling you, we need everything God has made available. And we can easily and rightly talk about the fruits of the Holy Spirit. These are all things that are evidence of the flow. Okay, and uh, we're going to do that. But today, all that said, to get to today, can you imagine? Wow, I must be a professional preacher. I mean, I don't know. What, what's up with all of that, right? Amen. I want to talk to you about a people that are currently being made ready 
for the day of God's power. Okay? A people that are being ready. And the reason I'm talking to you is because I believe that's inclusive of you. I believe you're a part of that call and mandate. And I want to read to you from Psalms. If we can get that up on the screen, that would be awesome. Psalms 110, <clears throat> beginning in verse 1, just the first three verses. Let me read to you. It's a Psalm of David. The Lord said unto my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. The Lord shall send the rod of your strength out of Zion, rule in the midst of your enemies. Here's the verse we're going to really zero in on, but I'm going to talk to those first ones to help us get the context here. Verse 3, your people shall be willing in the day of your power in the beauties of holiness from the womb of the morning you have the dew of your youth a people that are willing in the day of God's power the day of God's power so this psalm starts off it's a psalm of David David was king as most of you would be aware but it's an interesting psalm because it's quoted often in the New Testament and Jesus actually uh, you know, uses this to confront the bad doctrine of the religious leaders of his day. But it starts off with this, the Lord. Notice it's all caps here. Capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. And that's a significant thing. Now, a lot of translations don't, you know, unveil this. King James is, by the way, we're not a King James only group for those of you who are wondering about the Bibles in the prison and, you know, whatever. But we, I love the King James Bible. I think it's a great in a lot of ways, got a lot of good stuff. It's not, you know, uh, anyways, another topic altogether. I just figured I'd say that for those of you that were wondering if we were King James only. We're, we believe in the scripture and we actually go back to the Hebrew and Greek when necessary to examine what the original manuscripts and so on were about. And if, you know, so we'd glean from a lot of different places, but we're searching the scriptures continually to see if these things are in fact so. So that said, King James does a nice job here. I like, like this about the King James. They're honest in their translation for the most part. And uh, they'll italicize words that don't appear in the original Hebrew or Greek, which is a benefit. So if you're reading the King James Bible and you see words that are in italics or they're, they're italicized, that means that those words were inserted by the translator and uh, to help the language flow in our modern English or in Elizabethan English as it was in that time. And the other thing they do often is things like this. They'll put caps here to show that there's different words being used when you have the words Lord, right? So the Lord, capital L-O-R-D, all caps, said unto my Lord, small l-o-r-d, is significant because basically this is a reference to the first one with all caps as a reference to God the Father or Jehovah, okay? Often referred, looked at as God the Father. The second one is the Hebrew word Adon, and it's a reference to the Son. And we know this, this is confirmed because you go into the New Testament. So you have, you know, as, as good Bible-believing Christians here, we have God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And oftentimes it's nice to know who's actually being referenced in a particular passage of Scripture. And here in the Hebrew language, we have this benefit of seeing the distinction. Jesus confirms what I just said when he's addressing the Pharisees in Matthew's gospel is one account of it, Matthew chapter 22, Jesus says to the Pharisees, he says, Who, whose son 
do you think the Messiah is? And they answered and said, we think he's the son of David. And then Jesus quotes this psalm. He says, then how is it that David in spirit calls him Lord if he's his son? And they all were like, huh, hadn't thought about that, you know? So basically what he's saying is the, the Messiah is the son of God, the Father. That's what Jesus was establishing. So here the psalm starts off referencing the Father and the Son having a conversation. The Lord, the Father, said unto my Lord, David's the one accounting for all of this, being the Son here, sit at my right hand. So the Father says to the Son, sit down at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. And then it goes on and it talks about the Lord and his rod and we'll get there in just a second. All right, so the Father says to the Son, I want you to sit down. Well, guess what? Jesus obeyed the Father. And he, right now, has set himself down at the right hand of the Father. Let me just read to you a couple scriptures. If you got your notepad out, you might want to jot them down. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. It says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder or the author and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down or seated at the right hand of the throne of God. We know from the scripture emphatically over and over that where Jesus is placed today, he is seated at the right hand of God the Father. And God the Father said to him, you know, we see it now, the timing of this is after his sacrifice on Calvary and his resurrection and ascension to the Father, he ascends and he is seated at the right hand, which is the hand of authority and blessing. You know, the goats and the sheep. On the right hand, the blessing, the sheep, the goats on the left, that's where they're judged and so on. But he's the son of my right hand like Benjamin the son of favor the son of blessing and so here's Jesus the heir of all things as it would be the God man seated positionally at the right hand of the father with all dominion and authority until something happens let me just read you one more verse because it's important for us to nail this down Ephesians chapter 1 beginning in verse 15 Wherefore, I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and love unto all the saints, cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling and what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. And what is the exceeding greatness of his power to usward who believe, according to the working of his mighty power, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead, and here it is, and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places. Now hear this, this is important. Far above all principality and power 
and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come. You know, the place where Jesus is seated is above everything. He's seated with ultimate authority over everything. So you got this picture of my Lord said unto my Lord, the Lord said unto my Lord, sit at my right hand. This seat is a place of victory, authority, and absolute dominion granted to Christ for his sacrifice on our behalf. And so Paul says, I want your understanding to be enlightened. I want you to see without any question or shadow of a doubt. I want you, church, so convinced of this reality that the one you worship, the one who is your Savior, has triumphed over every possible demon, every market economy, every world governance, everything that has been, will be, or ever will try to be. He is seated above it all forever and ever and ever. Amen. I mean, that is the echo of heaven's throne room, and it's the absolute reality. And Paul's saying that, that, you're, that the, you know, the spirit of your mind, that you get a revelation, church. It's, this is his prayer. It's his cry. Because a church that doesn't see this and get this goes around living way below their authority level. Way below. So he says, he's put all things under his feet, verse 22, and gave him to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body. So he's the head and we are his body. The fullness of him that fills all and all. So, if that's Him, you know, the Scripture says that we've been seated with Christ spiritually in heavenly places. We're with Him. So there He sits on His throne. Praise God. Father said to Him, sit at my right hand. But then He uses this interesting phrase, doesn't He? We saw it up here in the text. Until. I want you to sit here until I make your enemies your footstool. So the Father's talking to the Son. He says, you sit right here. Now that you've done your work on the cross, you've ascended, and after your ascension, you are now seated at my right hand, and I want you just to kind of hang tight there, Jesus, the Father talking to the Son. And he says, until all of your enemies are made your footstool. He said, well, wait a minute, Pastor. I thought he already won I thought it's already over. I thought that everything is, you know, he finished it, right? It is finished. Yes, amen. And he has sat down at the right hand of God the Father. But there is this word, and we must hear this word today. Because this word is related to your mission and calling and purpose for being here. And this word is the word until. 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 I want you to turn, if you will, to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. This is the only verse we're putting on the screen today, so you're going to have to turn pages for the other ones. Amen. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. <clears throat> we're dealing with the issue of a seated Savior who has all authority and dominion, who is the head of the church, which we are a part of if you're a born-again believer. And he's got this word hanging over him where the Father says, Just rest here, Jesus, in your place of victory until... All your enemies come. Now look at this in 1 Corinthians 15, beginning in verse 22. Paul the Apostle is addressing the Corinthian church on the topic of the resurrection of the dead, 
happens to be his current topic. But he unveils some really interesting and important um, facts as it relates to God's timeline and God's purposes in the earth throughout the ages. Okay, And that's important because we're living right now at a very important time in history. 1 Corinthians 15, 22, Paul says, For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. But every man in his own order, Christ the first fruits, afterward they that are Christ at his coming. That's talking of future tense. Then, at that point, comes the end. When he, Jesus, shall have delivered up the kingdom to God the Father, even the Father, when he shall have put down all rule and all authority and power, for he must reign till or until, here's this word again, he has put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy that shall be destroyed is death. Now, I love that verse because it just cleans it all up for me right here. You know, listen, it's clear to me that though Jesus has triumphed over death, hell and the grave, people still die. So there is an enemy. Death is the most easy to see, okay? Uh, there is an enemy that is yet to be utterly and absolutely and experientially forever done away with. Death, ultimately, will be forever done away with. What an awesome thing, right? But here we get a picture, because for the people that say, well, I thought it was all finished. Well, it is, but there's still cleanup going on. There's still cleanup going on. And that's the church's privilege. We're part of a cleanup crew. Jesus is absolutely one, but all his enemies, sit here, Jesus, until all your enemies, the last one is death. But until all of them, there's a list of things that are still needing to be brought under submission to Christ, to his rule, and to his authority. So we're in this place of until right now. There's still stuff being worked out right now in the earth. So he says this, For he must reign until he's put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy that shall be destroyed is death. For he has put all things under his feet. But when he says all things are put under him, it is manifest that he is excluded, uh, meaning the Father's not under him, which did put all things under him. Now hear this last verse here. And when all things shall be subdued unto him. So here's the deal. All things are currently subject to him, but all things have not yet been subdued unto him. Are you with me? He has authority over everything, but everything has not been brought under that authority yet. It's absolutely there, but it's not yet been subdued. Now let's go back to our primary text up here because what we're really talking about, I'm going to get to it, trust me, trying hard. God's people are going to be willing in the day of his power. Meaning there's a purpose for you and I being here. We're not just here to suck up air and warm a pew. Amen. Amen. There is a purpose for us. And this goes back to our theme of out of your belly should be flowing something. Why? Oh, just to splash and make the flowers a little brighter. And No, 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 you're missing it. There's something that God has in his mind until all his enemies. And the vehicle 
for subduing all things unto Christ is his church. I, I might be quoting the wrong verse. Let me just shoot it out there. First, I'm sorry, Ephesians 3 and 10. Ephesians 3 and 10, I think it is. Paul says, to the intent that now unto the principalities and powers and rulers in darkness might be made known by the church the manifold or multifaceted wisdom of God that to powers and dominions and principalities and rulers in dark places that by the church that's you and me and those who believe throughout the whole earth we have this commission to make known the multifaceted wisdom of who God is. So, how's it flowing? Where is it going? Is it growing? These are things that are, are happening right now because we've got this until word that's still lingering in history right now. Until. I don't know about you, but I'm not going to be satisfied until, you know, like the psalmist says, till Jerusalem be made a praise in all the earth. I'm not going to be satisfied until all this stuff, this annoying stuff, these bondages, these addictions, these rogue spirits going around ripping people off. I won't be, God's not satisfied with it. You think God's just content just to let the world linger in this chaotic state when Jesus has paid for redemption for it all? No way. And neither should we be content. We should be emboldened and impassioned to see the kingdom of God advance at every cost. At every cost. We should be listening to the Lord and then receiving our assignments and being about His business. So the reality is, for 1 Corinthians 15, all things are subject unto Him, but all things have not yet been subdued unto Him. All things have not been brought under that authority, and that's part of our mandate. So the psalm that we began with, I hope you're okay with me toggling here back and forth. Psalms 110, verse 2. The Lord shall send the rod of your strength out of Zion, rule in the midst of your enemies. Now this to me is still the, 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 the Lord, the Father, all caps here, speaking to the Son or of the Son, saying... I'm going to send the rod of your strength and I want you, Jesus, even though you're seated, I want you to rule in the midst of your enemies. Jesus, I want you to rule. And Jesus says, got it, Father. And you know how I'm going to do it? Because I'm the head and I've got a body. And my body's on the earth and that body's out there working and I'm going to rule in the midst of my enemies through my church. That's how I'm going to do this thing. Amen. Amen. Through the church, I'm going to rule. My feet are firmly planted on the earth through the church. That's why when the Apostle Paul is persecuting the church, Jesus shows up on the road uh, there and he says to him, what are you doing? <laughs> I'm paraphrasing. This is not King James for those of you that are wondering. What are you doing? He says, and Paul is dumbfounded and, and he says, it's hard to kick, isn't it, against the pricks here. It's hard to push against who I am. And he says, who, who, who are you, Lord? He knows who he is. He's just kind of answering as he's saying it out there. And uh, Jesus says, why are you persecuting me? Well, Paul was persecuting the church. You see, there's not, in God's mind, there's not a separation here between Jesus and the church. 
He's the head, we're the body. So he's seated, we're seated with him, but the practical function of our lives is that we're here on earth strategically from God's point of view because Jesus has been commissioned to sit and rule until, to rule in the midst of his enemies until all of his enemies are made subject to him. And here's how it's happening through the church. So that brings us to the key verse here today. Your people. You see, that, all that backdrop sets the stage for this theme. Your people, God. This is David now writing the psalm, and he's having an insight. You know, you ever get one of those? You're just kind of reading along, and all of a sudden you go, oh, I see it. And so David, all of a sudden, he just sees it, and he says, I get it. Your people, God, are going to be willing in the day of your power, in the beauties of holiness and so on, willing in the day of your power. It's an interesting word, willing, in the Hebrew language. Interesting word. Netabah is how you would uh, pronounce this word. And here's what it means. It means spontaneity. To be spontaneous. It has a reference to a gift. Abundant gift. To freely offer. It also is used for the word plentiful, abundance, okay? And I love this. Comes out of a root word, primary root word that means to volunteer as a soldier. Your people shall be willing. They'll be spontaneous and voluntary people. They're not going to be people that are guilted into this service. They're going to be a people who are so in love with God that they're saying, sign me up. I'm in. I want to. It's not, this isn't I have to that he's looking for. This is what's going to be the, the character trait of God's people in the day of his power is that they're going to be voluntary lovers and worshipers of God who are, who are spontaneous in their response. It's just kind of, it's, it's like a want to thing. It's, it's going to bubble up as opposed to be forced up and and. and you know, I tell you, as a pastor sometimes, and it's not this place at all, you know, pastors get worn out trying to pry people into motion. <laughs> Why don't you, can't you just love God? <laughs> you know, he really is beautiful. <laughs> I mean, you know, jo- you know. I, I think you should, I think you should check him out. <laughs> He's awesome, you know? And, 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 and it, it's not going to be this way. This isn't, that's not the way it's supposed to be. And God's actually right now working. Here's the message today. Please catch it. What you're going through, the stuff you're dealing with, is God breaking off of you all this other stuff that would keep you from being a willing vessel. A lovesick, voluntary, running hard after God. All that you're going through right now, I'm going to show you in just a second, is attached to this end goal that your people, God, are going to be willing, spontaneous, voluntary in the day of your power to volunteer as a soldier. Interesting, let me just show you this word where it gets used a couple other places. Exodus 25 and the word in its root here. Uh, Exodus 25, 1, it says, And the Lord spoke unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel that they bring me an offering of every man that gives it. Here it is willingly with his heart you shall take my offering so this is the same exact word um, 
that we just uh, talked to, netabah, it's the same word, so willingly. So in the context here in Exodus, it's being used when, when God was getting ready to build the tabernacle. He says, Moses, here's what I want you to do. I want you to take up an offering from the people to build the tabernacle, but I want it from people who are going to give it willingly. I don't want you to pressure them. I don't want you to dangle them over hellfire if they don't give. What I want you to do is I want you to call them to the great privilege, but what I'm looking for, what I want to build this house with is hearts that are changed and grateful. That's what God's after. You know, God's got all the money. He can do anything in the natural he wants to do. He's not scraping around looking for dollars. What he's looking for is the hearts of people. That's what he's after. And we've got all these things that keep our hearts stuck. Can you say amen to that? Because it's a fact. We have things that keep our hearts stuck. And so God says, here's, here's the beautiful testimony of this day in which we're living. There's going to be a people in the earth who are willing, spontaneous, voluntary, in the day of his power. The day of his power. Another verse that's uh, there, which is a beautiful uh, supporting verse here, is Exodus 35, 29. It says, And the children of Israel brought a willing offering. It's the same word. They brought this spontaneous, free from the heart. I love God, and I'm doing this for that sake, and that sake alone, kind of an offering. Voluntary, spontaneous. Um, I, you know, I think for me it's important to state this when you use the word spontaneity we're not talking about impulsive it's the difference between being impulsive and being spontaneous right uh, impulsive uh, you know has all different kinds of potential motivators behind it impulsiveness but spontaneity I think is really more attached to love you know, I think of, and I've shared it a zillion times here, but just my relationship with my wonderful wife, Christy, and when we first met, you know, um, man, I had so many creative, spontaneous kind of ideas, and I learned to just roll with them, you know what I mean? Like, like you know, you don't have to plan everything. You can actually get an idea and just do it, boom, you know? That's not impulsive, that was spontaneous, and it worked. <laughs> Cha-ching. <laughs> Spontaneity. I see it as attached to love. I see it as attached to desire. Not manipulation. Not duty. And, and the such. I see this spontaneous willing people you know Moses talking to them at that time about the tabernacle but as a people that are responding to the benefits they've just received they've just come out of bondage for 400 years hello 400 years of hard cruel bondage in their families God has through signs and wonders and mighty deeds split the Red Sea swallowed up the Egyptians in the Red Sea and they come out and God says now it's time for an offering <laughs> and I want to see what kind of offering they'll bring me you know now think of that in our context you know you might you didn't come across you know the Red Sea in Egypt but you did come across the sea of sin Egypt is a type of sin and God who's 
who spared not his own son but gave him up for us all and delivered us we've got reason to be a voluntary spontaneous people that are just like living out of this place of I'm forever grateful God for who you are and what you are and what you've done for me and you want to build a house to glorify and for your presence to be like right close by by the way having the presence of God right close by is really important and wonderful but you know you, you you talk about all the fears and all the cares that are out there today there is nothing that mitigates fear like the presence of God perfect love cast out all fear so you can go on and on searching this word out and finding this willing spontaneous word but here's an interesting one that I have to include today it's found in Psalm 68 and 1 you would never know that this word is the same Hebrew word just by reading it in the English language you know I'm going to read the previous verses here because I love the word of God and I think it matters the way the context falls. So just hear these words. You know, you, you may have come here today just to hear these words that I'm about to read, but they're powerful words. And then I'm going to show you the word that in the Hebrew that's the same word, willing, that we've been studying here. Psalms 68, beginning in verse 1, to the chief musician, a psalm or song of David. Let God arise. Let his enemies be scattered let them also that hate him flee before him as smoke is driven away so drive them away as wax melts before the fire so let the wicked perish at the presence of God let the righteous be glad let them rejoice before God yea let them exceedingly rejoice sing unto God sing praises to his name extol him that rides upon the heavens by his name Jah and rejoice before him a father of the fatherless and a judge of the widows is God in his holy habitation God sets the solitary in families he brings out those which are bound with chains but the rebellious dwell in a dry land O God when you went forth before your people when you did march through the wilderness, Selah, the earth shook. The heavens also dropped at the presence of God. Even Sinai itself was moved at the presence of God, the God of Israel. You, O God, did send a plentiful rain, whereby you did confirm your inheritance when it was weary. This word plentiful is the word willing it's the same hebrew word think about this for a second we've just read about how awesome god's power is about at his presence enemies scatters wax melts like before fire mountains and obstacles and enemies and all this junk that the world is facing right now at the presence of god they flee and so on and then he says you sent a plentiful rain or a willing spontaneous Nobody had to force you, God, to do it. You know, isn't it interesting how we want God to be spontaneous and willing? God, I need you to jump, man. I'm in a crack, God. God, won't you be, you know, do I have to go through a bunch of red tape? God, no, I'm, I'm, I'm just hoping that, God, you'll be spontaneous today. 
I'm, I'm hoping you'll just be moved on my behalf now on my behalf. I'm hoping that, that you know, there will be just such a voluntary spirit about you, God, today that will volunteer to come up and defend me in my time of need. I'm praying, God, that's who you are today. And here it says that God sent a willing rain to strengthen the weary who were tired and burned out. That's how God is. It's what God does and whatever. But guess what he's looking for? He's looking for the same kind of thing in a people who when he calls, it wouldn't have to be like the prophet said, none did answer when I called. A spontaneous people, a lovesick people, a willing people, a people been delivered from all the lesser things that they thought would satisfy them, which never will. You want to know what God's doing right now? He's seated. Jesus is seated at the throne, the right hand of his Father, until all his enemies are made his footstool. And until means that the feet of us, the church down here now, are working out some things, enemies he has. And he says, in that day, my people are going to be spontaneous, happy, lovesick, voluntary people who are so captured by who I am that when I speak, they move. They don't think about it for four weeks and mull over it. You know, you know think about your response time versus God's response time. And ask the question if there's a connection. Sila. I have to ask myself, you know. The good news is that God is merciful. He's working in us both to will and to do of his good pleasure. But it is without question in my thinking where we are today as a people. My people shall be willing. You want to know what the character trait, the quality that's going to mark God's people in this hour? Because there's a lot of people who say they're God's people. But you want to know what the mark's going to be? My people are a people who are going to be willing, spontaneous, voluntary. They're not doing it for guilt's sake, condemnation's sake. They're doing it because they are so in love and so appreciative and just, I want you, God, you know? Now, the interesting thing is, to get that quality in a people, it doesn't happen by telling you to try harder. I just hang with me just for a couple more minutes today. It's important we know where this comes from and how God gets this quality in our lives because I think it'll, it'll maybe put a light bulb on for some and, and, you can, and I can begin cooperating with the process that we're all in right now. Willingness. My people are going to be willing. Well, you know what Paul says about willingness? Romans chapter 9, verse 15 and 16. He says... For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. So Paul says, so then it depends not on human will. Some translations say, it's not of him that wills, nor of him that runs or exerts himself, but on God or of God who has mercy. So think about this. It's not of him who in their own will try to make it happen or in their own human efforts try to work it up, 
Paul says, that's not where this thing comes from, but it comes from the God who shows mercy. God who shows mercy. So, a willing people in the day of his power, a spontaneous people in the day of his power, are a people who've been so impacted by the mercies of God. How do you have that happen? Well, you just take one look at your deprived condition left to yourself. And if you're having a hard time getting that view, God can help you. Let you see you without Him. Let you see your life without Christ. Let you see what life is like. And in that moment where the mercies of God are sealed into you. And I, I believe in that moment is a, is, a, is a process of moments. It's a series of moments. You know, I can't tell you how many times I've experienced the unmerited favor and mercies of God in my life. But guess what the fruit is? So Paul's saying it's not of him that naturally wills this thing because God's people are going to be willing, but it's not those who are just making themselves willing. It's a willingness born out of mercies shown by God. So I'm willing... More today so than I ever have been, not completely 100% there by any means, but I'm more willing today than I used to be, voluntarily willing today, because over and over again, when I wasn't willing, God met me, had mercy on me, worked with me, and then brought me to a place of utter, almost like, I'm not even worthy to be here, you know? And that there was his loving kindness picking me up again. The next time around, guess what happens? When he calls, I'm a little quicker to respond. And it's coming out of a different place. It's coming out of, it's only right. Because you're so merciful. They're impacted. These people are impacted by his mercy. Spontaneous, like those of your first love spontaneous acts Jesus says in Revelations 2 to the Ephesians church I see all the good things you're doing but I've got this against you you've left your first love and then he says do the first works repent what are the first works these are love works your first love that's what he says these first works are works that are spontaneous and from the heart so do the first works go back to those first things and in that place, you know, can, can, please, if you don't hear anything else, hear this today. God is examining where our works are coming from. And what he's looking for is spontaneous, voluntary responses. And when they're not there, he's not looking for us to act like there's something different. He just wants us to see it and say, you know, God, my desire, my spirit is willing, though my flesh is weak. And my spirit says, God, I want to be everything you want me to be. I want to be one of those willing people, you know, voluntary people. I don't want to hesitate when you call on me. Will you work with me, God? He says, yeah. All right, so I'm trying to get so much in in such a little bit of time. But I'm going, to, I'm going to get it out, and you're going to be okay. You absolutely are going to be okay. Trust me, I've seen several people survive before. <laughs> A few of them have actually returned. 
amazingly. All right. Your people are going to be willing in the day of your power. You know what this word is, power? It's the word, it, it really references army. In the day of your army. You can look it up in the Hebrew for yourself. Power, force, army. Your people are going to be willing in the day of your army. In the day you raise up your soldiers, volunteer soldiers, soldiers that like David's mighty men, without having to be even told by David to go get a drink of water for David, do it out of love for David. They heard what David longed for and they went because they loved him. And these were radical, sold out, risking their very lives kind of people, motivated by love for their king. So this word is army. Your people are going to be willing, volunteers, in the day of your army. Which brings me to this verse about the army. And I believe if you hang here and you just hear it, this is going to connect a few dots for many of you today of what you're currently dealing with. Exodus chapter 7, when God's bringing the children of Israel out of Egypt, he has a plan. He tells Moses about it. And uh, it's really kind of peculiar when you read it, but you can see why, and you'll hopefully see why he's doing what he's doing in your lives as well. Exodus 7 verse 2, he speaks to Moses, and he says, God is talking to him. He says, you shall speak all that I command you, and Aaron, your brother, shall speak unto Pharaoh that he send the children of Israel out of his land. And, God says, I will harden Pharaoh's heart. What, God, I thought you were working with us. You mean you're going to send me with a message and tell somebody to let my people go? Okay, I get that. That makes sense. And then when we do that, you're actually going to harden his heart so he won't let us go? I mean, you know, God, I wasn't born yesterday. And that just doesn't sound good. That is not what, you know, the board meeting said we were supposed to do. I mean, we, had, we, we got different ways of achieving the goals. And we thought you could just work with us. You know, so what you ask us to say, then you would back us up and actually do it for us. No, couldn't, couldn't, you, couldn't you soften his heart? <laughs> Why harden it? Couldn't you soften it and just say, I would love to see you go. Here, have all the gold. <laughs> have everything. Let me know if you need some help with the construction projects. <laughs> you know, we got, we got tons of good help. God, couldn't you kind of just move like, you know, what is your definition of how God is going to work in your life? What, what is it that you've assigned God to do with your life? But God says, Moses, here's how it's going to roll out. Now, you've got to remember, Moses is 40 years on the backside of the wilderness, pretty discouraged, and God's now telling him, he's laying out the game plan. Totally different than the way we would approach this thing. But here's God. He says, I'm going to harden Pharaoh's heart. <laughs> I think he did that. And multiply my signs and my wonders in the land of Egypt. But Pharaoh shall not listen to you that, hear this, I may lay my hand upon Egypt, and here it is, and bring forth mine 
armies. So catch this. God hardened Pharaoh's heart for the purpose of bringing forth his armies. My people will be willing in the day of my army. My people will be willing in the day that I'm bringing up my troops in the earth. My people are going to be voluntary, willing, in the day that I'm forming my army. Now think of the the Exodus drama, which is, let my people go. No, okay, have that. Here's some flies, and here's blood in the water, and here's frogs, and all the ten plagues. And they go from from Pharaoh saying, okay, you can go, you can go. And then they start to go, and he says, oh, no, I don't think you can, because God's hard. Back and forth. Back and forth. Anybody been in back and forth? Like you go from, like, like, you know, God gives you a word, great deliverance shows up, and all of a sudden... Everything that seemed to be going in your favor now is working. It's almost like, God, what happened? You said this and now it's this and back and forth. Let me tell you what back and forth does. Back and forth cultivates and brings forth an army who've learned that God is in charge, not the devil. And God has a bigger agenda, hear this, than just delivering you and me out of our circumstance. God has an agenda to show his power in all the earth. And he's looking for a people who will be willing in the day of his power or the day of his army because right now, realize it or not, he's got his eye on you and me and many others that he is preparing to march throughout the earth with such a deep revelation of his mercy and his grace and his faithfulness. One thing I can say, though I've been back and forth, let my people go, yes, no, yes, no. Yeah, I've been back and forth for years. One thing I've seen in all this back and forth stuff is that God is faithful. God is merciful. So it's not of him that wills in his own strength, but it's of God that shows mercy. And that mercy is what creates this voluntary, spontaneous, you know what? I don't have to understand it all. If God said do it, I'm going to do it anyway. And if God says do it, it's going to work out and I'm going to trust him to bring it all forth the way he wants to do it. He goes on, you can read it in your own time. He says, I'm going to show the Egyptians that they, the Egyptians, might know that I am the Lord. The whole world. So, you can take the rest of that verse and meditate on the beauties of holiness in the womb of the morning, the dew of your youth. I just would summarize it and say this. This people is going to be full of uh, freshness, not old, stale, tired stuff. This people is going to be dripping with the dew of their youth. Amen. That means you can be old in years, but dripping with the dew of youth. Amen. You, you, can, you can just be dripping with, with the greatness of the Lord in the day that we're living right now. A willing people dripping with the dew of their youth because of the anointing. Wow. All right. So here's how I'm going to close. By reading the scripture to you. <clears throat> Your youth. I was going to try to short, shorten this all up, and God said, no, don't shorten it up. Just read it. I'm going to read to you Psalms 103. Just hear these words today. These words are speaking 
today, right now, to many of us in this place. Psalms 103, a psalm of David. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquities, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from destruction, who crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercies, who satisfies your mouth with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord executes righteousness and judgment for all that are oppressed. He made known His ways unto Moses, His acts unto the children of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and plenteous in mercy. He will not always chide, neither will He keep His anger forever. He has not dealt with us after our sins nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. Isn't that good news? For as the heaven is high above the earth, so great is His mercy toward them that fear Him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has He removed our transgressions from us. Like as a father pities his children, so the Lord pities them that fear Him. For He knows our frame, he remembers that we are dust. As for man, his days are as grass, as a flower of the field, so he flourishes. For the wind passes over it, and it is gone. And the place thereof shall know it no more. But the mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting upon them that fear him, and his righteousness unto children's children to such as keep His covenant and to those that remember His commandments to do them. The Lord has prepared His throne in the heavens and His kingdom rules over all. Bless the Lord, ye His angels that excel in strength, that do His commandments, hearkening unto the voice of His word. Bless you, the Lord, all ye His host, you ministers of His that do His pleasure. Bless the Lord, all His works in all places of His dominion. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul. Stand to your feet if you would today. I want to pray with you. <clears throat> Praise you, Father. Lord, I want to thank you today that Jesus is seated at your right hand having all dominion and authority and power. I want to thank you that He is ruling from that place over all creation, things seen, things unseen. There's not nothing that is above Him, Lord. You have placed all things under His feet. I want to thank you today that He is the head and we are the body. I want to thank you today that we're members in particular, that we each have a unique function in grace. And I want to thank you today that from the place of your authority and your grace, you're working in us right now a spontaneous, voluntary spirit that is so impacted by your mercy, so impacted by the way you've handled us, Lord, not according to our 
our sins. You didn't, you didn't handle us the way we deserved, Lord. You've been so kind to us over and over again. And I want to thank you today that that kindness is working a voluntary, willing spirit in us. I thank you today, Lord, that your grace is bringing forth this army right here in this place. And I thank you that this army is going to march and step and sync with you. I thank you that not one will break their rank, Lord, that we will bring such glory and honor to you for Jesus' sake. Lord, you know the ten plagues that people are living through right now. Many people up and down, back and forth with all kinds of adversities, moments of victory and moments of going right back into the same stuff. But I want to thank you today, Lord, that you're present in the midst of it all. I want to thank you that in the midst of it all, you're developing an army, Lord, of people. I want to thank you in the midst of it all, you're showing yourself faithful and those that are watching us walk are also seeing it. I want to thank you today. Lord, I pray that our youth would be renewed like the eagle today. Lord, those that are heavy and oppressed and sad and and feeling, just feeling old and tired and God, I want to thank you today for breaking off old and tired and just letting us drip with the dew of our youth because of the Spirit of God and the anointing over us. And just break off all oppression and heaviness and fears and cares because you are God. (laughs) Thank you for it, Father. We just receive it, Lord, right now by your Spirit. And Lord, I want to thank you that our response time to you would get shorter and shorter and shorter. Lord, that our response time to you would be just so spontaneous for love's sake. It would just be our great pleasure to do your will. Lord, we acknowledge that we can't do that on our own, but we're asking for your work in us to bring us to this place. We thank you and we love you for it. In Jesus' name, amen.